welcome to the Let's Start Health podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea Haynes. We live in a noisy world, and this space is intended to bring you clarity, enrich your bank of wellness knowledge, and inspire you to kickstart your journey to healing body, mind, and soul. I'll be interviewing industry professionals and bringing you raw, real, and personal stories of healing through gut health, intuitive eating, and the power of the abundance mindset. Thank you so much for tuning in and getting curious. Your journey to healing starts now. Hello, and welcome back to Let's Start Health, a podcast willing to start the hard conversations needed in order to break through stigmas of mental and physical health, as well as inspire those on a journey to healing. I'm your host, Chelsea Haynes. This week marks our final episode of our three-part series where I have been doing shorter interviews with those willing to share their stories of addiction and recovery. Today, I'm excited to bring you two amazing guests. My first guest, Steve, has been sober since December 3rd, 2015. Steve inspires me so much as he is a single dad to his four daughters. He's a managing partner of a large healthcare recruitment firm, an entrepreneur, and a recovered alcoholic. His calm demeanor and raw story will surely captivate and inspire. My second guest is Henry Wimbush. Henry is the founder of Recovery Institute Incorporated, a nonprofit where he has mentored dual diagnosed individuals for the last eight years. Henry is proud to hold 19 years of sobriety and enjoys attending support groups and traveling to motivate others in substance abuse, prevention, and mental health awareness. Please enjoy part three of this three-part series of speed interviews of stories of sobriety. We would all deeply appreciate if you shared this episode with anyone who may need to hear it. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. Steve, thank you so, so, so much for joining me today. I'm deeply grateful for your time and for your vulnerability. And for our listeners today, um, Steve, my guest today is a father of four. He is a managing partner of a large healthcare recruitment firm and an entrepreneur. He is a recovered alcoholic and he has been sober since December 3rd, 2015. Congratulations, my friend. I'm so excited to have you here today. And I'd love just to start by handing the microphone right over to you and asking if you wouldn't mind sharing with us a little bit of your addiction journey. Sure. And uh, thanks for having me on. So uh, I got sober December 3rd, 2015, full-fledged. Uh, addiction was really recognized, I guess, by people other than me uh, in my late 20s. And then um, spent a, about a decade really struggling with that. And then decided I got sick and tired of being sick and tired and um, had just enough pain and a little bit of anguish to try mm. to do something different. I hear that often. And not only in just stories of addiction, but also in just in a journey of healing of any kind. You know, and it just kind of gets to a certain point where we just feel sick and tired of being sick and tired. <laughs> and then we realize that something needs to change. So may I ask, was it alcohol that was your primary vice? Yes. Yes. Primary vice and, um, and predicator for everything else. And yeah. what led you to alcohol in the first place? <laughs> that's, a, uh, that's a good question. I, don't, um, I still don't understand that. You know, um, 
I'm not sure why that was the one that did it. Maybe readily accessible, um, maybe being around it and, you know, being a, being a young professional at the time, you know, there's no shortage of places to find alcohol and there's no events mm. that usually don't have it. So, um, you know, it's probably just readily available and it's the one that worked the fastest and uh, was probably mm. the easiest. Yeah. So at this time in your life, you know, your early twenties is really, you said when others might've started recognizing it, was this a time in your life where you were a go-getter, you were going to events, you were a young professional kind of trying to do all the things and alcohol was sort of the readily available and easily accessible outlet for you. Well, it's the acceptable social lubricant, right? You know, and it was my early twenties when, when I really started being a young professional, right. Really being involved in recruiting. It's all I've ever really done. And, um, you know, trade shows and client visits and dinners and, it was just there. And then it was in my, uh, in my mid twenties, when it really, when my career really started to grow, I think so did my addiction as well. Yeah. It leads me beautifully into my next question is that addiction can be typically a, rep- a response to some type of trauma or a bandaid. Do you feel like your life's traumas or experiences or, or maybe possibly a lack of coping skills around them played a role in your addiction? Um, not to be too vague of an answer, but I really think it's all of them. You know, um, I spend a lot of time, uh, sponsoring guys and, and working guys through their particular program. And what I've realized is everybody's got trauma, not just addicts, right? Everybody's got trauma. Um, and so for an addict like me, um, you know, you really stop maturing about the time you start drinking and, or using or whatever your choice of, of drug is. Um, and, and that's usually when most people are learning those coping skills of how to deal with certain things. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's got a definite hand in it. Um, you know, I don't know if it's the biggest piece of why I was an addict. Um, but I, I think it's definitely probably one of the largest pieces of that puzzle. Yeah. So if it wasn't the biggest piece, like, what do you think might've been that, that piece for you that went just from, you know, the social drinking, you know, social lubricant to, I have a problem. Um, so there's about a decade between the social lubricant and the problem, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because um, it wasn't always terrible, right? It wasn't always a disaster. Um, it wasn't towards, you know, maybe the last, maybe the last three or four years were the worst. Um, I guess the biggest piece that led me to recovery was, you know, loss. I think that's the biggest thing. I've lost a lot of people in my life, having the background I have coming where I come from. And then my family being part of that equation as well. You know, all of us being from that same social circle. Um, I've lost a lot of people. And so that's probably, that's probably why, you know, that's probably one of the biggest reasons. And I think the other thing is, you know, it's a disease, right? And I don't know if everybody buys that. I definitely do. I think there's a lot of research behind the fact that shows that alcoholism and addiction is a disease. It's not something I, I, anybody ever chooses. Nobody ever wakes up one morning and goes, wow, I can't mm. wait to be an addict. Yeah, that would be a, you know? that would be an interesting goal, right? And it's funny how we have ambitions in life. And I, and I love what you said about you know how we all experience trauma. This is very true in, in the line of work that I do as well and, and coaching and health coaching and looking at vices and habits that we implement to sort of lessen the blow, whether that be addiction or emotional eating or anything, really anything, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, all of the above. 
And really what I'd love to offer to our listeners today is that, you know, trauma is on a, is a spectrum and there's no need to compare and despair, right? We all experience trauma of different levels, whether you consider it more grandiose or more subtle. And we're all just doing the best that we can to manage the traumas that we've experienced in our lives, given the coping skills, skills that we have been given, right? So that leads me sure. into wanting to ask you, you know, in this world that you were living in, so you experienced lots of loss. Do you mean death? Uh, death or just people just leaving, right? Uh, a lot of the people that are closest mm -hmm. to me are gone. A lot of the people that I knew from when I was growing up no longer, you know, are either no longer in my life or have, have passed on, right? And that's just kind of the way it was growing up where we grew up. We grew up in a very inner city type setting. Um, you know, it was a very rough area. But, you know, I, I love what you said, right? It's not about comparing, it's, it's relating. Mm. I can relate to people for a myriad of reasons, regardless of their addiction and, and regardless of their trauma. You know, nothing makes me crazier than somebody saying, well, you're not quite as sick <laughs> as I am. Absolutely. Right. Or you didn't experience or, you know, usually it's I don't typically find someone who's been through something extreme saying to someone else, well, you didn't experience what I did, which I do see. But oftentimes I see it in the negative self-talk. Right. Well, I didn't experience something as dramatic as could be like it could have been so much worse. Why am I struggling to deal with this experience in my life? You know, and then there's a lot of shame and guilt around what you did experience. So that leads me to wanting to ask you, Steve, did you ever have the realization that, wow, you know, maybe I'm really not broken, right? But I was, I was just trying to heal this bigger wound. And if so, if you did have that realization, how did you have it and when? Um, I had it about a year and a half after I got sober. Mm. Um, you know, in the, in the throes of addiction, it's hard to, it's hard to recognize anything other than I am broken, right? I'm not worth I'm not worth getting sober, right? Why not just continue to drink or use? And so um, it wasn't until my head got clear and I was able to see, hey man, I'm, I'm not alone. Right? It's not just me. And that's one of the biggest things I actually struggled with about doing this podcast was you know, being a professional and being responsible for a lot of lives in my life. How are people gonna receive this? Mm. How's this gonna be taken by people who don't understand? And so I decided to do it because even though you feel like you're alone when you're going through that stuff and it is mind numbing to feel that way on a consistent basis. I want somebody to know they're not. If one person hears this and goes, wow, if that guy can do it. I know I'm not by myself. I couldn't agree anymore. Okay. And, and I feel so passionate about this series because so many of us can relate to so many of the stories here. And I'm just so grateful for the willingness to be so vulnerable. So that leads me beautifully into my next question. And that's, do you still or have you ever experienced stigma around your addiction? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, probably not in the way that, that you would think. Um, it's, it's interesting. There's, there's a few people in my life that know I'm in recovery, right? And that I'm a recovered alcoholic. And then there's, there's people who've known me my whole life who don't know. And, and when those who don't know find out, it's that it, your face usually mm. can't hide what your brain thinks as well yeah. as you think it does, <laughs> you know? And so when you share that with somebody and their face just tweaks in a certain way and they're like, Oh, Oh, wow. That's awesome. You know, there's, there's a, there's a thing where like, I'm a single dad, right? I've got my kids full time. And so 
you know, with the parents, if they find out there's always questions like, do you ever still want to drink? Do you still drink? If I have people over at the house, is it okay if I drink? Mm. It's fine with me. I don't drink. So you can drink if you want. Um, it's, it's interesting the different sectors of my life and how that it's not really discrimination, just that awkward pause um, is. Yeah, I can imagine universal. there's a moment where someone might have to sort of rearrange what they think they know about you in their heads, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stories that we create sure. and the narratives we create, not only about ourselves, but about the people in our lives. And it's, you know, it's really great to just bring awareness to it, because though we may be floating around thinking that we're a non-judgmental person, at the end of the day, we all make judgments. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but it's definitely important to be aware, right? To be gentle around certain sensitive topics with especially people that we care about and love. And I do think questions are appropriate. You know, I think a, a good way to be able to shift from possible judgment is just into curiosity, you know, and getting curious about somebody's experience. And when vulnerability is chosen to be met with empathy, then shame can no longer exist. That's true. You know, that that's, I think one of the greatest things that I've experienced in my journey so far has been that I used to believe that alcoholics and addicts were homeless people who lived under a bridge, um, drank out of paper bags, right? Wore trench coats, you know, that, that storybook version of what we see. And having been one of those people now, um, it has completely changed the way I perceive other people in my life, both professionally and personally. And it's made me a better human, right? Um, it's made me a, it's made me a better boss, better manager, better partner, a better friend, a better dad, uh, because I'm able to see, and you said it early, early on in the podcast, right? Mm. We're all just Absolutely. doing the best we can with what we Absolutely. got. Absolutely, And I think moving through life together as a community is really the only way to do that. So that way we can get out of our own heads and we can give ourselves permission to let go of some of that shame and some of that grief that really runs so deep, right? And that guilt. So Steve, let me ask you, have you ever had any relapses? No, no, I've uh, been sober nonstop since December 3rd. Congrats, that's amazing. And do you think that was through um, dedication, hard work, and community, or was there something else there? Um, I don't know how, how most people will take this, but I'll tell you why I stayed sober, um, at least I believe, right? So a lot of that was hard work, right? Paying attention to what they told me to do and just doing it. Um, and the other part, there was a guy early on in my recovery that I didn't like very much who'd been sober longer than I had. And I thought, if this guy can do it, I can do it. And there's no way I'm going to let him win. <laughs> and I realized, of course, that a race you can win. But um, yeah, it's just hard work. And then, um, you know, get my head clear and seeing the things that are important that kind of kept me focused on staying sober and, and why I mm -hmm. need to be sober. Because every life revolves around me. You know, I'm a single dad, basically. Uh, you know, I've, I've got a... Uh, business partner and a company full of people that rely on me doing my job every day. And it's better. It's way better. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with a little, you know, competitive advantage to keep you on the track, you know, <laughs> I love that. So Steve, what are you doing now in light of your life's experiences? Um, you know, 
I still work at 12 step, right? I go to meetings every week. I sponsor guys in, in our program and I'm just, I'm not wasting time. I'm not wasting time. I wasted so much of it. And, and it's not really a waste, right? Because it, it got me to where I am today. And I guess we are the group of things that built us, right? All the experiences, good or bad or indifferent. Um, you know, and I'm just, I'm living as much as I can, as often as I can. I don't sleep very much anyway. So I try to squeeze every minute out of every day that I can get, whether that's watching movies with my kids or going out on a boat. Um, you know, um, my girlfriend and I are building a, uh, helping to build a Halloween trail, right? Just trying to be involved every Living day. Living all That's out. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. And giving That's it back. Absolutely what was given to amazing, me, Steve. You know? So I'd love to round it all out this time together by asking you, what does the term optimal health mean to you? Um, optimal health, right? So having been an athlete almost all my life, optimal health is being healthy in the center. I see a lot of people who are healthy on the outside and dying on the inside mm. or vice versa, right? Some of the unhealthiest people physically are mentally healthy, mm. but I think optimal health is that rounding out of all of them, you know, just being, mm. being happy, content, and a joyous Amazing. And every day. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much, Steve. Again, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your vulnerability. And I know this will have ripples out. I'm excited, man. If it helps one person, it's worth every second. Excited to have you here with me today. I am so honored and grateful for your time. And for today, Henry is the founder of the Recovery Institute, Inc. This is a nonprofit organization that focuses on educating, training, and empowering those that work with individuals um, and dealing with co-occurring substance abuse. I, I, this is just such great work, Henry. And um, of course, you have mentored dual diagnosed individuals for the past eight years. So there's so much history there. You have extra training in, as a forensic support specialist and a recovery support specialist. You've been sober for 19 years. That is amazing and enjoys spending uh, time at support groups. And now you are traveling to motivate others. So let's dive in here. Henry, I'd love to ask you a little bit about your journey to addiction. Um, how did it all begin? It all began uh, as a young, um, young man growing up in elementary school with a hole in my heart. I, I, was, I was raised by a single parent family. My mother did the best she could, but you know what I mean? Um, I found my uh, mentors out on the street instead of at my uh, dinner table. Mm. Yeah, it's it's leads me perfectly into my next question is that really, you know, addiction can be a response to trauma or a band-aid for something that may be happening in our lives. And do you feel like your life's experiences or your traumas or maybe lack of coping skills around them played a big role in your addiction? Well, I know they did because um, I, I knew I had a hole in my heart from not having a father or that father experience in my life. And, um, you know, I, I realized at an early age that uh, I needed a, a men in my life to mentor me. And um, uh, that's I didn't have that. So, you know, that did play a big, big part of it. 
I can totally understand that. So that seeking or that desire for having that male role in your life, that mentorship, you found it on the streets. What was that like? Well, growing up in uh, Pittsburgh, uh, the streets were the streets, you know what I mean? There was another law and another language and another code out there. So I had to learn that code, and that's the uh, lifestyle that I led, you know what I mean? Everything that uh, you see uh, on TV and these things, they really they really happen every day. Wow, it's uh, it's so powerful, and I love how you used that on the streets. There's a different law, language, and code. It's like, it's truly a whole nother world that many people experience and many people don't. And I'm, I'm venturing to say that part of those laws and those codes are that um, means of coping of being on the streets are through drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Sure. Uh, one, one of the uh, codes is that you don't show any emotion. Uh, one thing that I always stress when I mentor men is that it's okay to have emotions as, as men it's not a sign of weakness. So the code on the street is to not to show any emotion. So we learn at early ages to stuff all of our emotions in. And usually in my case, I'll say that the only relief I got was using drugs. I love that point. So the code was you're not allowed to share emotions or to show emotions. So the way that you coped with that or dealt with your emotions was really to numb out, right? To numb those emotions, because what else do you do with them when you're bottling them up all this, all the time, they're growing, growing inside of you. You turn to drugs to numb them out. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I I see every day with uh, young men uh, is that uh, they don't understand how to express any kind of emotion. And I didn't also, what, what I understood was that, you know, that the streets told me that I had to be tough. I had to be uh, brash and I had to be aggressive. So that led me down another path too. And mm. drugs were a part of it. Yeah. I can imagine, you know, the basic needs of human beings to be loved, to be safe and to be accepted so in order to be accepted, and I'm sure in order to feel safe, there were certain personality types that had to come forward, right? You had to be aggressive. You had to be brash. You had to be tough to survive. So this was not just a way to fit in with the people that you were with, but it was really a survival mode. Would you agree? Oh, I would agree uh, totally. See, one thing about uh, the, the streets is that uh, acceptance comes when you understand the language and the language is, you know, uh, presenting this false image and drugs mm. actually help to camouflage who you really are and actually hides under the surface those things that you really love and you appreciate. Wow. And what would be some of those things that you had to camouflage that you loved and appreciated that might not be accepted on the streets? Well, I'm a 320 pound teddy bear. You know, <laughs> one thing that I always had was a compassionate heart. I, I felt for people, you know, God gave me some kind of gift where when I walk down the street, I can feel the pain of other people. So mm. I had to suppress that and, and, and pick up this, you know, um, kind of like a attitude that I didn't care. You know what I mean? When I really did care. So mm. that was one of the things that 
I had to uh, put underneath the surface or camouflage. Yeah, so you had to uh, suppress this God-given gift of empathy, which mm-hmm. empathy is is truly how we begin to heal when we meet each other's vulnerability with empathy. And that vulnerability is met with empathy. That's how we begin to heal. So, wow, for all those years, you had to suppress that. So may I ask, what exactly were the drugs that you were using and what was the turning point for you? Well, uh, I, I used uh, heroin for... Um, Starting at the age of 16, I was selling a lot of things and I was using uh, heroin and cocaine and, and, and um, marijuana at a very young age. And what I found out was, is that after I detoxed all of these feelings that I had suppressed and all of these coping skills that I never used took me back to childhood almost and that, mm. that was the turning point the turning point was realizing and looking in the mirror and saying saying that it's a child inside of me and it's okay for him to come out now mm. so what led you to be able to bring these feelings forward and to go back to that place of childhood i imagine you had some help getting to that point is that true sure i just wanted i remember one uh pacific um incident in in the rehab that I was in, uh, Mm. one of my counselors told me because I lost my mother and I was a mama's boy and that led to a lot of my relapses and stuff and a lot of my pain inside. He wanted me to actually write a letter to my mother who had passed away. And I looked Mm. at it like, hold on, you know, my mom's gone. And, you know, he said, write it as if she was still here and say all the things that you wanted to say to her right now. And when I did that, when I started writing, it wind up being five or six page front, front and back. And that was the change. That was the spiritual change and the emotional change that helped me to cross over into recovery. Wow. So you had been in rehab. You had been on this journey of detoxing. You had been kind of it so it sounds like you were in you you were in rehab you were on the journey to sobriety and then you experienced this massive loss and it, your big turning point might not have even been the start of being in rehab but it was really this moment of giving yourself the space to maybe forgive to let go to hash out all of these things that needed to come to the surface mm-hmm. really it's it's that thought of forgiveness and and I have learned through my faith and my spirituality that forgiveness is not for the other person. It's for me. It's freedom for me from the chains that that hatred, that shame, that guilt, that pain is, is keeping me locked in. So, wow, what a beautiful turning point. And that leads me to asking, so was it at this moment or did you ever have a moment of realization that you're not broken, but rather you have been soothing these bigger wounds that needed healing? Yes. And, you know, Chelsea, I I really want to just say that you haven't asked me this, but I'm going to tell you where that happened at. Um, Mm -hmm. I was all my troubles and and my street thugging and drugging led me to uh, incarceration. I had to Mm -hmm. look in the mirror in that prison cell and realize that I was trying to fill a hole in my heart that had developed when I was a young man. And I had to ask myself some hard questions in prison. One of them was, 
who I'm, who I am, and why, and what's different about me. What what is different about me? Because I believe that in recovery, that the person has to see that something has changed. Because I was a chronic relapser. I relapsed and relapsed and relapsed. But when I reached my what they call rock bottom, I had to ask myself, what is different this time? Mm. Not. And I gave myself an opportunity and the staff uh, at the prison that I use allowed me to facilitate groups inside of prison. And those principles that I was actually teaching sunk into my own brain and gave me a paradigm shift. I love that. You know, you just spoke on so many things that are so important one of which is really just the power of self-accountability and self-reflection, right? Asking yourself those really hard questions and saying, am I ready to answer these truthfully? Am I ready to start focusing on what's different about me rather than what is the same, right? And how amazing, you know, taking another step forward that your ability or opportunity to then stand and be there for other people was what also helped facilitated your own personal growth and change. I think a lot of people hold themselves back from helping other people because they're on a journey. But I think it's important to realize that by being there for other people, we can help heal ourselves as well. So um, may I ask you, do you ever experience stigma around your addiction and, and how might you deal with that? Wow. I'm glad you asked me that when I, when I got out of prison, um, I was hired at a mental health facility and the the owner of the uh, company, well, the lady that ran it, really, really uh, liked my story. And she's seen the significance of me dealing with people. I have a, a knack with uh, being real with people, so they're real with me. She gave me a seat at the board table and she said, we will not create any treatment plans for anyone until Henry weighs in on that person and gives us intel so that we can shape and mold the recovery plan according to this knowledge that we have now. So when that happened, you can imagine the other people who had been years and years around this board table looked at me like, well, who's this, you know, ex-addict, ex-prisoner that's coming in now? We got to stop before we create a treatment plan and ask him. So, yes, I, I face stigma even in the workspace. You know what I mean? So, yes, stigma is a part of it. I can imagine it's one of the more challenging parts of recovery and this journey to sobriety. So you mentioned, you said ex-addict. That brings me to ask, do you still consider yourself an addict? No, I'm, 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 I'm a recovering, um, grateful recovering man of God now. You know what I mean? I look at myself in a positive light. I'm changed from the inside out. I have uh, a new spirit. I have a new paradigm. And mm. although my hands may be the same, they are new. You see what I'm saying? So I know, do. I, I say an ex-addict just so that the ones that's listening could understand that I did identify myself at one time as an addict, I believe that people need to first admit that those things that they do are conducive to people who are addicts. You know? mm. Mm. I can't tell you how much I resonate with your message, Henry. <laughs> it is the 
root of the abundance mindset for me. I think for anybody on this journey, just like you said, we must admit how close we can go down that spiral, like how close the addiction could be. And if, you know, for me, if I'm recovered from alcoholism, for example, I might never be able to use alcohol again. However, I am no longer an addict. I am recovered. I am a new person. Just like you said, I am now a man of God and I really resonate with that. So thank you for your transparency and your, it it feels empowering to me, right? It feels empowering and it feels motivating to be in this new paradigm. So Let me ask you the last couple little questions here, Henry. What are you doing now in light of your life experiences? Well, I'm glad you asked me that. Um, I've been called to go back into uh, the highways and the byways, as they say, and compel those people that I was once lost in. I'm talking about those same people that I was. I go back into them, and I have uh, the experience, and I, I know the what they are going through because I've been through it. So I relate to them on a level that is not cookie cutter. And I help them in any way that I can, whether it's helping them go to meetings, whether it's sharing the Bible with them, whether it's, you know, sitting down with them all night until the morning, if they, if they want to use, I've I've sat with people all night drinking coffee just because they had a trigger to want to use. So I, I'm my recovery Institute is about helping people to stay clean. Wow. So Recovery Institute, tell me the website will also be linked in the show notes, but what is the website for the Recovery Institute? Recovery Institute website is hope at recoveryinstituteinc.com. Hope at recoveryinstituteinc.com. Amazing. So if anyone's listening to this and maybe in need, they can send an email there and they will receive a response. I want to thank you for this opportunity because um, I, I, I realize that uh, you are a dynamic young lady and um, you're doing a lot of things to help bring out different issues. And um, your, your, your platform is, is very worthy. And I want to thank you for giving me this opportunity. I could not be more grateful. And I'd love to round it all out with what does the term optimal health mean to you? It means balance to me. Um, in my lifetime, mm-hmm. dealing with people uh, with mental challenges. I sit down with them and I listen to them and then I help them come up with their own answers. I realize that I cannot change anybody, but the answers are in them. That's what my training told me. Always remember that the answers are in them. So it's balance. Balance. I love that. I love that so much. And self-accountability and your work, your faith and your trust in the individual is, I resonate so much with it. So thank you so much. I really look forward to staying connected and this quick, you know, 15 minute platform is not enough time. We could, we could talk for days and days and days. I wanted to take a quick moment to give you, my community of listeners, some genuine appreciation. I know how valuable and precious our time is in today's world of productivity, and I couldn't be more grateful for yours today. If you feel that this episode was of value to you, I would be even more grateful if you were to share it with your people. 
go ahead and copy and paste that link into messages. Or if you're feeling really creative, pop a screenshot of the episode into your Instagram stories and send it on over to that person in your life who might need this boost of inspiration today. Don't forget to tag the podcast handle Let's Start Health and my personal account, The Yogi Yachty, so we can have all the fun connecting, building community, and sharing all the things. Thank you again, and remember, be curious and unwavering on this journey.